Welcome to the Millennial Way. Real millennials, real success. This is how they did it. Tailoring the next generation of leaders. I'm proud to be your host, Chase Coleman. Y'all, what is up? What's going on? I'm your host, Chase Coleman, and happy winning Wednesday. Welcome to the Don't Talk About It, Be About It special, where we are having roundtable conversations with men and women of different colors, backgrounds, and thought processes even to continue having the conversation around racial injustice and inequality. Today's topic is about being intentional and learning in education. How can we, as young leaders, be intentional and what steps can we take to help others learn and be educated? So I have four amazing people joining me today. I have Cameron Maple, who is an MBA candidate at the Wharton School. I have Paul Riley, who is a JD candidate at the Columbia School of Law. I have Calvin Armitis, who is a general manager at Fitness Ventures. And last but not least, I have John Tudor, who's an operations analyst at Travelers Insurance. Now, guys, we did have a little bit of technical difficulties at the very beginning of this roundtable. So we missed maybe like the first, you know, 30, 45 seconds of it, but that's okay. And I'm I'm very excited to get this conversation in front of you guys. So without further ado, I'm just gonna get get us going right into this roundtable. Let's get this started. Those who are looking to educate themselves, um, what can they do to help educate? Okay. Um, so, Cam, I love ex- exactly what you said. And I think the education piece, yes, absolutely. But as we were even having, com- as I've been having conversations with other people, like education is going to help get everybody to step zero, right? Because, like, it's almost like the groundwork. And we go to college, we go to school to go get degrees, but you don't just go get degrees to say, like, I'm educated. You go to actually put those degrees to work, right? Whether it's getting a full-time job in whatever industry it may be. And that's kind of our point with this today is helping people understand, hey, I got to lay this groundwork. I'm starting at negative three right now. I got to get to zero. And then I need to build on top of that. But enough of me, Paul, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this topic as well. Yeah, I think I echo what everyone else has said about sort of having empathy. I heard that earlier, figuring out why you want to educate yourself. But I think another thing that comes with the education piece is being comfortable, being uncomfortable, if you will. I think a lot of the conversation is around, I don't know how to approach it. I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong things. And I think that can deter so many people from getting actively involved. But I've heard people talk about it and describe it in a way that I thought was effective, where they basically said, uh, treat it like, uh, and I, this is a pun or, or anything like that, but treat it like a funeral. Like when someone dies, you don't know what to say to the family that's grieving always, or you don't always have the perfect response, or you may not be able to fully understand, but you have the ability to tread carefully and understand when you may be going too far or, or when you're not. And so I, I think that type of analogy can help people to understand that like when you're in similar situations, as humans, as adults, um, as individuals, you understand how to approach those and you understand how to have that empathy and how you can relay that without necessarily saying the right things, the conduct and how you approach it and the willingness to try to put yourself out there to learn, I think is one thing that always gets lost in translation, but it's just so important as well. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's awesome. And, you know, we all kind of talked around like the uncomfortability and the vulnerability piece of it. Right. And every single one of us are being vulnerable right now. So for somebody to say that they can't do it, like it's absolutely bullshit. And I'm just going to call them out on that. But the one thing that I am realizing within businesses, and it's been very interesting to me, is that while they are having the same sentiment of like, we don't know what to do, right? We're kind of nervous about what to do. We don't really know how to take action because like, I'm scared I'm going to say the wrong thing or I'm going to do the wrong thing. I mean, look at look at Drew Brees, for example, right? Now, what he said, do I agree with it? Hell no, when that came out, when he was talking about the flag. But it took him a crap ton of people to respond for him to realize that what he said was insensitive and that he needed to open up his mind to differing opinions, right? And he needed to become more vulnerable and understanding of what others are doing. And I think by us being here today and other people being able to listen to this, it'll just give them a good understanding of like, hey, we may not say all the right things, all of us, right? As black men, as a white, as a white person, like you may not say the right things, but the whole point behind it is kind of showing that you care, right? And like, like you're, like you said, Paul, if you show that you care, if you're at a funeral, you may not know what the hell to say, but you're going to at least say something sentimental to them and tread lightly because 
I care about you and I want this to be better for you, right? I know you're going through a tough time. Black people have been going through a tough time for their entire lives, centuries. My dad went through this. Our grandfathers went through. So like you could go through a very long time. But my whole point being is that we need to put down our guard, become vulnerable and be able to, and that's what's going to help you learn and listen, right? Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, and I, I was going to say just another thing because Drew brought up Drew Brees. I think one of the tough things about that situation is you had a lot of black players on his team saying, you know, I break the huddle with you uh, Sunday or Monday or Thursday of every given week in a season. And the fact that you couldn't see that um, caused that disconnect. And so I think that a lot of it has to do with just understanding that you're coming from different perspectives and that a lot of that cynicism is just baked into the fact that we can't assume that just proximity to blackness creates understanding in that way. And so I think that one of the things people should take into account too is understanding that the cynicism is just there. And instead of shying away from or being afraid to address it, I think acknowledging that that's a part of it and allowing that to impact and affect your strategy as well so that you're not going into it with this kumbaya blindness of like, oh, we should all be great, but not realizing that those types of signals from Drew Brees, he's just the most prominent person to do it, but in the smaller ways in small group settings, it creates that cynicism, I think, we need to take into account, not to deter us, but to help again with that empathy uh, as you approach it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cal? Yeah, so I, I definitely want to uh, kind of piggyback off what he said. And, uh, you know, looking at Drew Brees, I, I, I don't think that he personally really kind of thought about how he was saying it was going to impact people, right? Not necessarily what you say, it's how you say it, how you go about that, how the understanding beside of it. Uh, and I, I think for an individual who wants to speak up and who has those uh, passionate opinions, right? Uh, they need to kind of really take a look at themselves, understand exactly where their privilege is, what was their upbringing, where did they potentially have opportunities where others did not? Uh, why are they put into the forefront? Is it because of you know what they've done consistently, or is it particularly because you know the color of their skin? Uh, and, and a lot of times, if we're not able to kind of look at that and truly deeply reflect on what our actual objective is, we don't understand where we're coming from. It's going to be very hard for us to understand and empathize with others. Um, and like he said, uh, you know, being able to own it, like, like Paul's talking about and understanding where you're coming from um, and, and being able to address that in a calm but educated manner. You know, like we talked about, we're trying to understand this better. And some people are going to see that Drew Brees thing and think, well, you know, I don't want to step up. I don't want to say something like that in order to get called out for it. Uh, but, you know, I think you mentioned, you know, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. In a lot of situations, being uncomfortable is where you have your most personal growth, but also where you have the most growth around your friends, the friend groups you have, the people you keep, right? Uh, you know, sometimes you are only as good as your company. And sometimes, you know, personally growing and rising above that is going to bring you to different areas, different people, different cultures. And I think all of that can be kind of uh, really digested and understood and really understand what, what we can do to start. But it starts with the conversation, right? It starts with talking about these things and being able to identify, yes, I have a privilege. Yes, I can use my voice to you know, overcome that and explain where I'm coming from and why that's not right. You know, I think it's it's perfectly fine to be, you know, proud to be an American, uh, but I don't have to be proud of what America's doing right now. And I, I think that, that that's the beauty of it. Uh, the democracy is that we can have this opinion. We can, you know, really kind of debate and have these discussions and learn and grow. And, you know, hopefully this becomes a unifying revolution for us, you know, moving forward. I do. I do think we're at an inflection point. And Cam, I'll get to you right after this. I, you know, I've talked to many people who are older than us who have been fighting this battle for years and years on end. And the one thing that I will give credit to just the world right now, while, which while it may look like it's on fire, right? We got stuff going on in China and India. We got our own stuff going on internally. It's that the power of social media has truly kind of driven the awareness in, of what's going on. And the fact that we had protests in all 50 states in 17 additional countries like when I talk to my parents and they're like, well, we've been through, you know, like civil rights movements. I'm like, but it was never this large. And that's why I personally feel a little bit more optimistic about this, because we got people who aren't even American citizens who are looking over and they're like, you guys better go vote. Like, y'all better go do something. Right. And it, it's not going to I'm not talking political right now, but I'm just talking like from a sentiment standpoint, like I do feel like we're at we're at an inflection point. Um, Cam. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to add too is I think we talk a lot about the fear of of you know what to say and when to say it, but I think it's important to remember that silence is a choice too, and not saying anything. Like we live in an era when 
it's impossible for most most people to be able to to say that they're unaware of what's happening at the very least. So I think, um, you know, it's important to remember that not saying anything at all is, in fact, making a choice. And the second thing I wanted to say was, I think people should also not underestimate the power of simple acknowledgement. I think what I've noticed, a lot of the, you know, corporate statements that have come out and people speaking publicly, I think what I see is one of the most frequent pushbacks on that is the fact that people want to say that they stand in solidarity without interrogating how it is that they specifically perpetuate racism in their everyday life, whether that's a person or an institution. And so I think even just starting with that acknowledgement of the privilege or the way that you perpetuate a system, if you're a company and things like that, the way you've done things wrong in the past allows you to then um, you know, prove to people through your actions in the future that you're willing to make an actual difference. I think, no, I think that's awesome, Kim. I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. John, let's let's hear it. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I think that um, kind of one thing, you know, where we're talking about education and I think what Cam said right there with silence as a choice, um, that's one thing. And, and then... Uh, when I saw certain things going on and, and wanted to join the conversation, I felt very uncomfortable as a white man trying to enter the conversation because I didn't understand what my place was. And I think that a lot of my peers felt the same way, but it's important to understand that that can't be used as a cop-out to just say or do nothing. Um, and that it's very important that, okay, you might not know what to say, but you have to acknowledge something. You have to educate yourself. You have to get involved. And, you know, as we just discussed, silence is a choice, but it's not a choice that any of us should be making. It's not a choice that any of us should be comfortable with. Um, and I think that it's something that we all just have to through together and, you know, kind of echoing the sentiments we've already been talking about here is you might not know what to say. You might not you might be afraid to say the wrong thing, but you have to be willing to put yourself out there and to say something and to try to enact some positive change, some conversation uh, and to kind of get things moving. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really like that. And before I move on to our next question, um, share a quick story with you guys. Cause I think a lot of you guys have said the same sentiment, right. And like, I agree with everything around it and I just talked to one of my buddies actually just a couple of days ago and we got into a pretty steep argument um, after the George Floyd events happened and it came from an, a misunderstanding, right? Um, did I ever think that he was, you know, racist or anything of that sort? No, but I was deeply hurt by how he was, what he was saying, right? Because he just didn't know what he was saying, to be honest with you guys. And, you know, a couple of weeks go by, we both were able to kind of like understand our emotions. And, and I can't lie, I was disappointed that it took that long for, to have that conversation. But when we talked, like he let me know, like, I just didn't know how to go about it. And my response to him was, what do you mean? We've had conversations about everything, literally everything underneath the sun. How do you not know how to go about this one conversation? Right? Just because it's, it's different, just because it's uncomfortable. Do you know how many uncomfortable things we've talked about in our entire lives? Right? Like, so now just because all of a sudden we're bringing race into it, you now feel like, Ooh, like you might see me as this or that. Like, no, 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 no. Like if you're my friend, if you're somebody that I respect, I will sit there, I will listen to you, but you better sit there and listen to me too. And I think that's one thing like that I would kind of pull out of this entire thing is like education. You have to put down your ego and you have to learn, right? You have to just be willing to kind of like sit there and actually listen with your ears and digest it and then respond. And you also have to be uncomfortable with these conversations, right? Like being comfortable, being uncomfortable is the only way you're going to, like you said, Cal, grow personally, professionally, in any facet of your life. And the only way for people to truly be able to educate themselves and then do action on the education is by being uncomfortable. Now, being comfortable is sitting in your house watching Netflix documentaries, listening to podcasts about, you know, African-American history, all these different things that you could do on your own. But they need to they we everybody needs to get out of their comfort zone and physically, you know, when when we're in a covid world, step outside and actually be able to do things of this sort. 
but I'm going to transition us. All right, go ahead, Paul. Oh, I, I know we want to move on. I just think one thing no, that I'll, I'll lastly say, and I think Cam and I have been talking about this a bit recently, is just how you show up and how you contribute and realizing that there are multiple ways to contribute and that it could be monetary, it could be going to the protests and showing up, it could be helping to organize on the back end. And I think that it should be a combination of all of those things. But I think so many people can sometimes get so lost in like, if I'm not doing the performative post, remember the black tiles on Instagram that were... Yeah. The talk of a, a day of, um, and, and then the misconstrued nature of that and how that was um, sort of confusing, but how the fear was that some people would feel like that was enough. But I think it's really about thinking about how you can contribute in the way that you, your skill set will allow. So maybe when I become an attorney, it's advocacy. Maybe for someone else, it's digital design to tell a story. I think all of those things need to come together to bring more people into the movement and not just the core traditional ways that we only see involvement or performance or activity within the movement. Yeah, I, I I love that you brought that up, Paul, because it's, and Cam, I'll get to you right after this, because I think it is all about the action, right? And like, I'm a firm believer that like small impacts and, and very like, and small impacts create a larger impact, right? And like looking at this from a broad spectrum on social media, from the news, it's like, we need to go fight all of these fights. And a lot of people don't realize that it, it, there's so many layers to it, right? And it's like, at least from my perspective, I'm like, I'm going to make the biggest impact I can in my in my my current situation. So that way I could help fix, well, progress change for the future. Right. And that's just I, I agree with you so much. What's up, Cam? Yeah, I think the, the thing I wanted to add was exactly to that point. I want to make sure that we're couching this conversation in the fact that the real insidious part of racism is the fact that it is a system that operates like to, you know, even without individual actors. Um, Paul and I actually took this class in undergrad called uh, Race is Socially Constructed Now What? by this professor named Ruha Benjamin. She has incredible um, like TED Talks on YouTube if you want to learn more about her. But one of the analogies that she used to explain systematic racism to me that just continues to be something I always talk about is racism as is in some ways like an apple orchard. You can have an orchard without individual ap apples, right? Like um, you can, there can be good apples, bad apples. It doesn't really change the fact that an orchard or systematic racism as the analogy goes actually continues to exist. So I think so many people get scared out of having the conversation about race because they're scared about the individual label of being called racist. But unless you just do some wild shit that we generally know is not appropriate or not acceptable, people will likely not really call you a racist. I think it's more about um, trying to dismantle that broader system and using your voice to do that. It's a more important piece. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for bringing that up, Cam, because that's I mean, shoot, we even talked about that in one of our last conversations, right? And I negated to bring it up. So I appreciate that. Kyle, did you have, did you have something? No, you guys are good. Okay. Okay. So we're going to get into a, a little bit of the meat and potatoes here. Um, this is probably going to be the last question because we're going to, we should be talking about this for a little while. Um, but Cam, Paul, um, myself, like we, we're black men. Um, there's no way around it. We don't take off a uniform. We can't wash it off. Like there's no way I'm ever going to get rid of this skin color. And I personally never want to get rid of it. Um, but one thing that I've really seen around social media a lot is what not to say to your black friends and microaggressions and, and other things that are now kind of coming to the forefront that have not necessarily been like socially accepted, but they've just kind of been socially ignored. Let's just put it that way. I don't know if there's a right word for it. Um, but as many people who have been in, in these spaces where they're like the unforeseen minority, what are some tips that you'd give like your white friends on how to like better communicate with, with us? And I'm not saying like, again, not a checklist, but like, I think I'd, I'm kind of curious to know like how you would approach this with your friends and just helping them understand as they're, they're giving you calls and asking you questions. I can start. I, I think the one thing that I think people have to understand, um, and I think this goes back to the education piece, but it bleeds into questions of how do you engage is, I think just realizing the historical context that black people find themselves in. I think that George Floyd is, you know, the, the most recent, but this has been happening uh, for years now. And I think just in terms of an historical context, 
when we entered college um, in 2011, the end of our freshman year around February 2012 was the Trayvon Martin incident. And then when we entered our senior year, uh, beginnings of senior year was the Michael Brown incident. And so these inflection points have followed us through major milestones in our life. And at each pivotal milestone, whether it's college or now graduate school, we're, we're reminded of the fact that this thing continues. And so I think that that type of context and allowing people to realize that this didn't just happen overnight with George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery, this has been going on. And so a lot of this stuff has just been dealt with behind closed doors or in the confines of black spaces where we can talk about that. And so that type of context, I think, gets lost. But in terms of what not to say or, or what to say, I think the hardest part is just that within the black community, there's just such a broad, um, I guess, perspective on this because people have had to internalize, as I mentioned, for so many years that people have different Absolutely. approaches. So some people will say, I am tired. Please don't reach out to me. Others will say, come to me with any questions. I want to educate because I feel that that can be my way to fight. And so I guess the tough way to answer that question is just that people are just at such different parts in that internalization. Some people are numb. Some people don't want to engage. Some people are trying to figure out how to interpret it that I think is that whole point of being comfortable, being uncomfortable and realizing that there's not going to be a one size fits all and that you have to come into the conversation with that understanding that there is no one right way to feel. And so those emails in the work context or those check-in texts are appreciated to some, but don't be surprised if people don't respond, don't take it personally. And I think the broader point I'm trying to make is just in all of this, as a non-Black person or just as a human, trying to find ways to not center yourself and your feelings in this moment, because a lot of those conversations devolve into how I felt. And you have to begin to ask yourself, why am I so worked up on how I'm feeling as I'm trying to engage with someone else? And it goes back to Cam's point, why are you doing this in the first place? Like, why are you trying to educate yourself? Is it to give yourself a pat on the back or is it to really understand? If you're really coming to understand, I feel like you're able to maneuver and, and, and work with people wherever they are without taking it personally or centering yourself or your emotions. Uh, and so I think that's the initial way that I try to think about it. And I encourage others to think about it. It's just people are coming from different angles and trying to actually be authentic and genuine in the conversation so that you may figure out where people are and how willing they are to share and respecting those boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really love that. Cam. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good question. I think, um, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about to Paul's point is that it is just so deeply personal. Um, I think what my recommendation is or the, the ways that my friend just speaking personally, um, like my point of view of one, yeah. um, things that I felt good about is when friends reach out to just say they care, they are, you know, acknowledging that they probably won't ever fully understand it, but they're willing to talk about it or willing to do whatever makes the most sense um, in letting me sort of drive any further conversation from there. Um, I believe that a lot of people, to Paul's point, have, um, have reached out um, in some ways pretty with the thinly veiled attempt to absolve themselves of their own guilt. And just know that that's very easy to see through, right? Like oh, yeah. if you're actually trying to seek understanding, um, you can do that on your own. You can do that through Google. You can do that through learning and resources. My personal point of view is that if I care about your, your, you know, your, your relationship in my life is worth it, I'm willing to have the conversation until I'm blue in the face. But that is not the case for everyone because everyone has a different emotional reaction to this. So I would say if you are the person that's seeking understanding from someone else, just acknowledge how deeply this really cuts, you know, and, and the other thing is, I think also acknowledge how your past actions may have even contributed to someone's negative experience. It's really interesting seeing a lot of people that I went to high school with, and college with and, and whatnot, posting about these things, in sort of these, you know, public displays of solidarity, but I know for a fact they haven't really grown from things that they did in high school and beyond that exhibited the exact opposite. Um, and so I think just to summarize, 
be be understanding of where black people are and the fact that this just brings up so much generational trauma actually um you know and not even just things that the individual that you're speaking to has experienced but things that have been entrenched over centuries of time definitely understand that and then do what you can to uplift their own voice and try to do things that that show that you care um because like i said before saying nothing at all i think is also making a choice so just being acknowledging of of the other people's feelings yeah i love that the best thing that i get often are just like texts from friends like yo checking in how you doing you know like that that shows more to me personally that you care than than sending me a long text about how guilty you feel right like frankly i don't i don't care how guilty you feel i really don't because I didn't contribute to that guilt. Like this is all something that you're now realizing, which it is what it is. But like, let's talk about how we could fix this and how I might be able to help you because I want you to stand by my side to help me move forward because I know you, I, I at least think you're caring right now. Right. Paul, what what'd you have to say? Yeah. I think the other thing I was going to add is I think that it's a two way street. Like, I think you need to be asking like, what should I say to my black friends? How should I approach my black friends? But I think on the flip side, a lot of what needs to be done is, you know, what can I say to my white friends too? And I don't mean to say that they'd be snarky or anything, but it's just, no, but, it's the truth. When you, but when you look at the, the dynamics of social relationships, I think there was a study um, that alludes to the, the fact that intraracial relationships are so strong across every racial group. So if you are a white person, I think it's like you're 93 or 94% more likely to have an all white social group and maybe one non sort of white friend similarly for black people it's in the high 80s low 90s of and so i say all that to say that our our nuclear communities are so sort of stratified by race that me talking on a podcast or me speaking up is going to only go so far a lot of that yeah. work's going to happen at thanksgiving around that table or or christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate or as john was talking about when your friends are having those conversations around i don't know what to say and you trying to not necessarily lead those conversations, but be involved in, in and not just skipping over them, but diving in to say, I'm confused too. I don't have all the answers, but can we talk about this and why do we think in this way? And so I think it's a two-way street. And I think that a lot of the work of anti-racism and anti-racist movements require, I think, white people to also look inward to their own communities to say, how can I at least initiate and advance this conversation? And we saw the girl who was screaming at her father on that viral Twitter clip. And I think that's sort of one way in which people see it. And I think there were critiques about that whole interaction as well. But I think the, the conversation needs to happen there as well. And so I think it's a two-way street that needs to be activated. No, I agree wholeheartedly. One thing that I've heard, we'll get on to you right, real quick, Cam, is that this is, and I, it's not something that I've just heard, it's something I believe, but this is not a black people problem. It's a white people problem to fix, right? Now it's, I say that because it's like, you can't just go straight to your black friends and say like, what can I do to, to fix this? It's never going to work. I felt overwhelmed. I'm sure you guys felt overwhelmed. Like the amount of text messages, calls, like I was like, I just need to break. Like, I don't have enough time. Like, I don't know, you know, like you just get so like up in your own head. And I just remember talking to one of my buddies and saying like, for me, what would go the farthest is having like being a, an eye in the sky, not even knowing that I was there and seeing you walk down the street and see something ha wrong happen to a black man. It's like, like wrong, like injustice wrong. And you step up and you walk over there and say, that shit's not okay. And you stand up for him. And then you stand there and you help him figure out the situation or whatever it may be, right? Like that for me, at least, like I think that type of stuff goes a lot farther than just educating, right? Like now if you've educated yourself and then you're taking those actionable steps, that's one thing. But I think like, just sitting at home and posting on social media about how you watched like 13th on Netflix. Like that's cool. But like, I watched that because I enjoyed it from a cinematic understanding and obviously the historical knowledge, but like, you know, like it's just, it's a Netflix show. Go ahead. Go ahead, Cam. Yeah. Two things I, I wanted to add. So one is I think it's also important to realize that this moment has become about white people. And I think I've personally been thinking a lot about like what that really means for the future of progress. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but if you look at the common conversation about what's happening, a lot of it surrounds 
white people's collective engagement in these issues for really the first time in such a major way, you know, that we've ever really seen in the U.S. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think it's a question of like, what will white people collectively do with this moment, like in the future? So like not today. And the, the sad part about racism is really there's not much you can do in the exact immediate uh, immediate term. It's like the next time you see something bad happen, the next time you have a clear advantage and you have the opportunity to bring someone else along or share your privilege with someone else to uplift them. I think those are the important future things to think about. And that's where the real rubber hits the road when it comes to dismantling racism. The other thing I would say is I think what I've heard a lot from friends, white friends in particular, is just how overwhelming this moment feels. And I think that is okay. And it's totally understandable. Black people have been overwhelmed for a very long time about these issues. But what I think it's important to remember is that Black people generally went to the same schools that white people did. You know, like there are, um, we're obviously very segregated in the way that we live, the way that we are educated in these countries, et cetera. But what we've agreed upon as the academic canon and the things that are worth teaching in this country are generally the same, regardless of where you go to school. And those things do not typically include things like, you know, educating people about racism. So Black people have also had to start at ground zero and educate themselves about their very own liberation, which I think, while simultaneously being disenfranchised. So I think what I would say to anyone who feels overwhelmed is, if that's the case, like look in the mirror and think about the, you know, what it would mean for you to have to educate yourself while also experiencing the same things that you're reading about. And I hope that that will give you a little bit of hope on what you can do to educate yourself. I love that. I love that. John, Cal, I'm going to open up the floor to you guys real quickly. You have anything um, on that, on that? Yeah. I mean, um, as far as, you know, a couple of the topics that Paul and Cam touched on there, um, I think a big thing too is uh, that I've been thinking about a lot is the whole, it's not a performative action, right? Um, you know, being an ally is not a performative action. It's not, you know, like Paul said, posting a black square on Instagram one day because everyone else is doing it and it makes you feel like you quote unquote did your part, uh, you know, and it's, what do you do after that? And as far as the education piece, I think, and like Cam just said, it's kind of become a white problem to solve. And I think that really is a big point because I look inwardly at that a lot over, you know, the last number of weeks. And I mean, sharing a little bit about my own background, I'm from Western New York in a predominantly white conservative community. I mean, if you look at me, I grew up, uh, I went to predominantly white school and my hobbies include hunting, fishing, and playing hockey. So not exactly the poster child for um, conversations about race relations in uh, America, but I think in talking to, uh, to one of my friends who, uh, you know, I kind of engaged in conversation after this all happened, young man that I went to college with. And I reached out to him and I was like, what is an appropriate reaction from me? Because I don't want to, I don't want to say or do anything. that's going to undermine anything. Like I kind of want to tread carefully here, but what's like, I'm pissed off, but I don't know how to express that right now. And we had a good conversation. And the thing that he told me that really resonated and I think falls right in line with Paul and Cam's uh, points there is the best thing that I can do is take my thoughts and educate myself on this and take that to the community and the people that I grew up around, right? Because to a lot of those people, you know, a young black man saying, you know, hey, we got a real problem here, isn't going to hit them in the face quite as hard as it is if someone like me, who they see as one of their own community, steps up and says, guys, we got a problem and, you know, time to, time to start talking about it, time to start addressing it, enforcing those conversations. Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable and, yeah, it raises some eyebrows and, you know, kind of puts, you know, people looking at you like, Hey, where did this come from? But 
those are important conversations to happen because to Cam's point on, in a lot of ways, this has become a white problem. If we don't force those conversations and that type of education and making people uncomfortable and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable to challenge those things, we're never going to make any progress. So there's so many different lanes that we need to be moving in. And it's just, that's kind of one that kind of along with uh, Paul and Cam's points there, I think is just something that a lot of people are seeing as important and a lot of people are realizing for the first time, hey, it's not enough, you know, to your point, Chase, in, in your podcast episode, it's not enough that if I'm walking down the street with you and somebody says something that I'm ready to fight them, it's what am I doing when you're not there? And exactly. those are exactly the things that we need to start reinforcing as a community to dismantle the issues that have been going on for generations. I agree. I agree. A hundred percent. Cal. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to definitely follow up on uh, something that Cam said that stuck with me. Uh, you know, this isn't going to be something that happens overnight. It's going to be a generational thing. Uh, but I think our generation has the capacity, has the drive to make something like this happen. Now for us as, you know, white individuals, we can't just stop. This can't be a fad, right? This can't be something that we do it for two or three months. It's all great. And then we forget about it. This is going to be something that we have to, you know, to, to Paul and to John's, to Cam's point, have these difficult conversations with people within our inner circle. Uh, you know, understand that a lot of these people may not have had the same experiences that we have, uh, you know, playing football with Chase, I was, you know, introduced to a lot of different cultures. And I, I, I understood that and learned to appreciate that and really understanding people's backgrounds and being able to kind of get involved in that, understand where people are coming from. But still, I haven't lived through that. And I never will. And I'll never understand that. And what I can do is be an ally and say, I have your back. I'm here for you. Uh, you know, what are we doing behind closed doors to John's point, you know, and then to Paul's, these conversations may be happening at Thanksgiving, at Christmas with our families for people who generationally, they've been stereotypically given this idea of what black America is and that that's all they know. They, they don't have a, a more understanding that they don't have this basis of what it, what it could be, uh, the education behind it, where we can learn individually. Like me personally, I, I hadn't heard much of Juneteenth up until coming up into this year. And that's something that I think realistically, you know, public school systems, different things where we can really involve in that and get children to understand at the very beginning, this is important. This is something that we need to go over. It's glossed over in all of a majority of public schools. I mean, I, I don't remember having conversations about racism besides it's bad. And yeah, it is. Uh, I think for us, it's, it's not enough to be, uh, you know, not racist. We need to be anti-racist. We need to call people out on the racial, uh, I would say, idiosyncrasies that are kind of be putting forefront and things that, you know, have just been kind of built into our brain growing up and things that aren't right. We need to have those conversations with people behind closed doors. And we need to have those conversations and not look for pats on the back. This is not something where we need to go onto Twitter and Instagram and say, oh, I did this today. I went above this today. If that's something that helps you, you know, personally feel gratified, that's awesome. But, you know, we're not looking for a pat on the back. This these are people's lives that we're talking about, people that just have much as right to live and do as they please as any other individual human being. Uh, so I think for us, the most important thing is, you know, calling people out, challenging our friends, uh, you know, and, and not necessarily in, an, in a you know defensive or attacking way, but in a side of, hey, I'm not really sure if you understand exactly what you're saying right now. I'm not under, sure if you understand the implications of what you're saying right now. Let me educate you. You know, maybe your opinion might change on these things. Uh, I, I think one of the one of the biggest things, and it, it stuck with me for so long. I really kind of thought about it going into this podcast. Uh, you know, growing up, I went to a uh, more of a, a kind of a public school, and I was one of the few white kids at the school. So I had a very good understanding of elementary to middle school, and then high school, I went to a private Catholic school. Complete switch around, right? Uh, and you know, some of the conversations with some of my African American friends who were, you know talking and you know conversing intelligently it's 
you talk white. You know, why is that a thing? Race should not be education. Race should not be somebody's morality. So for us, we just need to be able to call out those things and say, that's not right, man. That's uh, that's not the way that we need to have these conversations. And, you know, we may ruffle some feathers, but uh, I think along the way, it's going to end up being a more successful generation for our kids and their kids' kids. You know, I, I think that that's what we should be aiming for right now is in the future. Uh, you know, this is something that is looked down upon from everybody. You know, it's going to take time to break the systematic racism that is within our country, but uh, it's one step at a time. It's being an ally, it's having conversations, and it's taking action. What you guys are talking about is not sitting in the back, not being silent, uh, you know, not being afraid to be corrected if you are wrong. Um, and I think that's the biggest piece, you know, what we can do as allies moving forward is uh, really kind of listen and want to make an impact right now to kind of impact our future generations as well. Yeah, yeah, Paul. And then we'll get to yeah, you right after Cam. Yeah, I think one thing uh, that I loved about that and one thing I wanted to highlight is just the fact that while we are having this conversation about what white people can do in their communities, I think along a similar stream, I think there are conversations being had in the black community around how we also need to push ourselves to expand the conversation. I think one thing that people fail to realize is that in these conversations, particularly on anti-racism and on racism more broadly, we really center black men. And so... I'm used to my perspective and my experience being the center and the forefront. And I know that if something were to happen to me, there would probably be national news coverage, just the way things have played out. But what I'm also trying to work on and what I'm trying to do and push in my own communities and in my own circles is how do we also become more expansive to see the intersectional identities of Black women and Black trans folk and the LGBT community that are experiencing these things at alarmingly high rates in, in, in the same manner, but that are not talked about. And so I want to just clarify that like all of this advice and perspective is not coming from a holier than thou where we are better or more informed than, but it's a thing of like, we all are trying to work on this in our own ways and it looks differently. And there may be sort of people coming to the party and showing up at this point, but there are, are things that need to happen across all of our communities to create more intersectional understanding of how all these things overlap. Because if we don't attack that, you know, we're not doing our part in elevating the conversation and making sure that the voices that are not prioritized finally get a, a say and attention so that we can help to cure those ills as well. So I love that point. I feel like it's a work stream that I'm also trying to integrate uh, in my life. Yeah, I, I love you brought that. I love that you brought that point up, Paul, because it's something that I've even struggled with trying to understand recently is like, what other intersectional groups do we need to be pushing for, right? And I'm just happy that you brought that up because that even has me thinking, you know, currently. Um, I got a lot going on in my head, just trying to think through that. <laughs> Cam, hit hit me. We'll transition. Yeah, here. no, I wanna I wanna, you know, double click on that point. It's so important. Intersectionality is something that we cannot talk enough about. For people that don't understand the concept or haven't been exposed to it, intersectionality is about the multiple systems of oppression that an individual person may face based on the different intersections that they exist at. So for example, Breonna Taylor, a black woman, uh, was at the intersections of being black and being a woman. And so she is subject to oppression from you know, misogyny and being a woman and also being black. And so the more intersections that you exist at, the more uh, severe often your experience with these different issues are. And so we have to continue talking about that stuff. And to Paul's point, it's one of the things I am very focused on. And I think more black people need to be focused on. And it's okay to have those two conversations at the same time. So I want to make sure I highlight like just how important I think that is. And the other thing I wanted to go back to Cal, your point, I I loved that what I think I really heard from you is the humanity in all of this. Um, I think one of the most striking examples I think a lot about is um, you know the Charleston, South Carolina, the the murder um, that you know Dylan Roof um, killed black people while praying at church, and through the very humility of that same church community, President Obama came down and it was a whole thing. But they prayed with um, with the community and with the world watching um, a few days after that incredibly tragic event happened. And so, if you just think about the the 
pure humility. I can't think of another word to describe just how much, um, you know, emotional control and just love that takes. I think asking like white people, the people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people we grow up with to just just have a, you know, a semblance of that same um, humility and love for for people that that are in your space. I, I think it's it's a very little uh, task to ask it. So I just ask people to remember that we're all humans at the end of the day and and what we're asking for are basic human rights. Um, and it's it's about justice for everyone, for every single black life. And um, I, I don't think we can truly live up to any of the, um, you know, sort of the ways we think about our country, the ways we think about ourselves until we figure out how to address some of the things that have happened in the past. Cam, thank, thank you for that, because to your point, right, look at the, the name of the movement and, and just from, from one spectrum of it, Black Lives Matter. We're asking for basic human rights, right? We're not saying that black lives are more important. We're not saying that black lives are better. We're not, it's matter, matter at the very least, right? Like I, I was even driving today and I was thinking about this and I was like, if someone were to say like, does this matter or does this not matter to you? And if I say it doesn't matter, then it's immediately like put to the wayside, right? And we're talking about human lives, like a, a human a human person, right? You, me, like all of us are humans. And at the end of the day, like, if someone were to say like your life doesn't matter, then that's like, I, I just like, I just want people to think about it on the flip side, right? Like if you're not saying black lives matter, then are you saying that they don't matter? And it's just a conversation. Like, I think it's an open question for everybody. And one thing that I want to say and, and kind of closing remarks, and I'm going to like flip this over to you guys real quickly after I say this, so you guys can have one last uh, remark, but we need to keep up this momentum. I've been very, very proud of, of the way that I've seen some of my friends react after this. And to, and just being honest, right? Like seeing some of my friends get hurt and how overwhelming it has been for them. I know it's, it's not because they're like looking back and like, oh, I just feel so guilty about like X, Y, and Z, but it's because we want to help progress change. Right. And that's where I get very proud of like my friends where I'm like, at least we are taking these steps. But the one thing that, ner that, that makes me nervous is three, six, nine, 12 months down the road. What does this look like? Right. Like uh, one thing that's really prevalent within our generation is fads and trends and, and doing what's cool on social media. And I just want people to think about the fact that this is not a trend. This is not a fad. This is not something that makes you cool. This is a something that is deep within your morals. And if you don't think that a black life matters, then you need to look internally at your morals. And it's not about being cool or anything like socially. So we need to keep up the momentum. We need to keep the intentionality. We need to keep holding each other accountable, right? Whether it's all of us here in this room and with all of the uh, all of the other people within our network, like that's going to, in my opinion, that's what's going to help progress change. And I want to flip this over to you guys for one last um, remark. If you got, if you didn't get to say something today that you wanted to, um, and we'll start with Cal. We'll, we'll just start Cal, Paul, Cam, John. Uh, so first off, thank you guys for having me. Uh, it's been educational for me on my side to listen to you guys and, uh, your experiences and kind of where you guys are at right now. So, uh, thank you for allowing me to be part of the conversation. Yeah, I think I would say that, um, this conversation was so great and I'm glad that we're part of it. And I think to your point about the black lives matter, when people respond, all lives matter, just ask yourself, do you go to the Susan G. Komen walk for the cure for breast cancer and say, all cancers matter. You would look crazy <laughs> doing that. And so just think about how ridiculous sometimes that stuff can sound. But I think the last thing I'll touch on is to your point about what we do three, six, nine, twelve months from now, we have to realize that it's bigger than just police brutality. Like that's what's on CNN and MSNBC. And that's what gets the attention. But we're talking about the Thanksgiving table. We're also talking about the subtle Amy Coopers who can weaponize that experience and understand what emotion that brings about. That happens to people on a daily basis. That's not always recorded or photographed, but that is so persistent and prevalent. And so to Cam's point, realizing it's a system and that people can play their part in weaponizing aspects of it in the most subtle ways that if we look at it in that way, we'll continue to see it, not just on the headline news, but we'll continue to see it and want to continue to work to eradicate it. So realizing it's on the big and small scale and that those small conversations, those small willingness to speak up can do a lot of good for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say I 
thank you for creating this forum, Chase. And thank you, everyone who spoke today just about, you know, for just being honest and just being willing to have this conversation. I think it's one that's so important. I think what I've been meditating a lot on is like, where do we go from here to your point, Chase? And what I think that looks like is I think we're getting to a place. I don't think we're fully there yet, but I think we're getting to a place where we have a shared language and are starting to get um, when people read the books that they say they're going to read and things like an understanding of like, um, you know, how this stuff manifests and what I think the next final step is, is how do you to truly be anti-racist, right? It's, it's about, it's about using the education that you have to dismantle a system that we know is, is unjust. And so it requires putting true skin in the game and making sacrifices. And I think not everybody understands that that is in fact, the reality of dismantling any system that is oppressive. I will continue to try to do my part. I think as Paul mentioned, intersectionality, finding whatever your privilege may be, reevaluating that and figuring out what it is that you individually have to do to dismantle the system. I think that is the next step. And that is part and parcel to trying to actually manifest true anti-racism for everyone. So thanks a lot for the time. Cheers. No, of course. Thank you, John. I, I really just echo a lot of, you know, what these guys are saying. And I want to thank you for including me in the conversation here and, um, you know, the other guys as well, you know, Paul, Cam and Cal for uh, being a part of this as well. And I really just, I love hearing everyone's perspectives and uh, just learning more about what I know, what I don't know. Um, and, you know, as these guys have said, you know, this is, this is step one. And, you know, as you've said down the line, three, six, nine, 12 months from now, 10 years from now, what does this look like? Um, you know, I'm glad to be here and, you know, for conversations like these to exist. Um, but I really think that we can get some good momentum going as a generation and as a society, hopefully to, to really follow through on that change um, and to not let this die down as a fad. Because, you know, as we've talked about, it's, it's not, these are lives. And, you know, this is quite honestly, probably the most important um, thing that we faced in, in my lifetime, uh, that I've seen. So, um, thanks again, guys, for the conversation. And, um, you know, I'm glad we could, uh, all come together to be a part thanks of it. Thanks for tuning in. I'm, I'm very happy like and show, I have to thank all of sure you guys. Make sure to leave us a review. Um, Go ahead and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Millennial Way. And check out our website at itsmillennialtalk.com where there's new blog posts and updates. We will see you next Winning Wednesday. Go grab those dubs. This is The Millennial Way, tailoring the next generation of leaders.